we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that tops market. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. This is Dave Debo. On the program today, one topic. 19-year-old Peyton Gendron was sentenced to life without parole Wednesday for his role in the top shooting, a racist massacre that killed 10 people and injured three others back on May 14th. Today on the program, a special recap of the day's events, hearing from the family members. I don't know a damn thing about black people. What can you possibly say to anybody? Your words don't mean anything. After this, And the prosecutors. Emotions are high. Hearing from Gendron himself as he apologizes to those family members. I did a terrible thing that day. I shot and killed people because they were black. And hearing from Judge Susan Egan as she passes sentence. You will be sentenced as an adult. Our coverage begins at the end of the proceedings with sentencing remarks from Erie County Judge Susan Egan. Gendron pleaded guilty to murdering 10 black people, targeting a segregated neighborhood with the stated goal of killing as many blacks as possible there. Egan had no leeway to give him any other sentence, but during her remarks, she went out of her way to draw attention to the racial nature of the crime and stress the courage of the victims' families for coming forward. I would like to thank you all for being here and to thank those of you who have shared your thoughts and feelings with the courts, either in writing or in open court here today. It is very meaningful to me, and I believe that it is important for the defendant and the world to hear what you have to say. I am very sorry for your losses and the pain that you feel. I would like to recognize the heroic officers of the Buffalo Police Department who, without hesitation, ran towards the danger of an active shooter call swiftly and professionally stopping and containing the defendant and putting an end to his evil rampage. Thank you. I spent a lot of time thinking about this case. Our community, our nation, how we got here, and where we go from here. It all comes down to character and having the strength to stand up for what is right. Our character is not defined by the good and easy times. It is defined by the hard and challenging times. And often, our character is revealed not necessarily by what we say, but by what we do. I am both immensely proud of and grateful for the way Buffalo has rejected the evil and hate that was inflicted on our community. The character of good people throughout this city, county, state, nation, and even internationally, has shown through as they have stood with the victims of this heinous and cruel act. This indictment speaks to the 13 victims and their families that lost the most, but they are not the only victims. There are thousands 
that have been traumatized directly and vicariously by this defendant's actions. We have seen the community turn out in support and are seeing signs of much needed change in East Buffalo. It is a testament to the power of love and compassion to overcome evil and hate by turning pain into purpose. But it is just the beginning. We have a long way to go. This hateful act and other similar hateful acts across the country, motivated by white supremacy and replacement theory, are a reckoning for us as a nation. The ugly truth is that our nation was founded and built in part on white supremacy, starting with the treatment of Native Americans by the first European settlers to the cruel, inhumane, economic engine, nation-building practice of slavery, to indentured servitude, to Jim Crow laws, to government policies creating segregated public housing with communities of color often placed in environmentally hazardous locations to the manner in which expressways were built, dividing urban neighborhoods to create easy access to government-subsidized developments in the suburbs with restricted covenants prohibiting the sale of suburban homes to African Americans, to redlining practices in communities of color, further devaluing those neighborhoods to the GI Bill, a well-deserved financial boon to our servicemen. Unless, of course, you were a serviceman of color. To the war on drugs and mass incarceration, disproportionately of men of color. To the school-to-prison pipeline. To inequities in education employment opportunities, and compensation, to the existence of food deserts, and inadequacies in healthcare. Our history is replete with both individual and systemic discriminatory practices, many of them still firmly in place today. In fact, it is these very policies and practices that contributed to and made this atrocity possible. The effects of these policies, some current and others decades and centuries old, created the segregation in our city and enabled this defendant to research and identify his target to maximize the impact of his evil intent. All of these policies and systems, either sponsored or tolerated by the government and implemented by individuals, were designed to destroy the very fabric of family life 
opportunities for success, the creation of generational wealth, and even the mere existence of hope in communities of color. The harsh reality is that white supremacy has been an insidious cancer on our society and nation since its inception. And it undermines the notions of a meritocracy and the land of opportunity that we hold so dear. However, white supremacy is not inevitable or unstoppable. It has been carefully cultivated and nurtured by individuals and the government for centuries. This is the history that we have all inherited. It has been passed down from generation to generation. We must acknowledge that history. See that history for what it is. Recognize it and learn from it, or we are doomed to repeat it. Let ours be the generation to put a stop to it. We can do better. We must do better. Our own humanity requires it. As an individual, we must call out injustice in our daily lives when we see it. We must reject racism in all of its forms. We must be conscious of the power of our words and actions and the impact they have on those around us, both intended and unintended. We must demand better of our public servants in their efforts to address inequity. And we must embrace government policies aimed at creating and fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion. We must make the outpouring of support, love, and compassion that followed this heinous act an everyday practice. We are stronger together. These are hard and challenging times. Our characters are being tested. The future of our nation is at stake. Are we up to the challenge? I believe that we are. In the words of Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, there is always light if only we are brave enough to see it. If only we are brave enough to be it. Mr. Gendron, please stand. There is no place for you or your ignorant, hateful, and evil ideologies in a civilized society. There can be no mercy for you, no understanding, no second chances. The damage you have caused is too great, and the people you have hurt are too valuable to this community.
You will never see the light of day as a free man ever again. It is the judgment of this court for your conviction under the first count of the indictment, a domestic act of terrorism motivated by hate in the first degree, an A-1 felony, that you be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Under the second count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Roberta Drury, a vibrant 32-year-old young woman, a daughter, a dedicated sister, and friend, I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the third count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 67-year-old Hayward Patterson, a son, father, and friend, known as a faithful, hardworking, generous, well-dressed man, I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the fourth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 77-year-old Pearl Young, a daughter, mother, grandmother, and friend, known for being a loving, dedicated substitute teacher. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the fifth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 86-year-old Ruth Whitfield, a daughter, sister, wife, mother, and grandmother, a dedicated caretaker, an avid fisherwoman, and a valued member of her church community. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the sixth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Celestine Cheney, a daughter, sister, mother, aunt, grandmother, and friend, a fighter who at 65 had beat cancer and multiple aneurysms, a person who enjoyed life and laughed easily. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the seventh count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Aaron Salter, age 55, a son, brother, husband, and father, a car guy, a lover of camping, a retired Buffalo police officer, heroic and selfless to the very end. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the eighth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 53-year-old Andre McNeil, a son, brother, uncle, father, and fiancé, devoted Miami Heat fan, survived by a three-year-old son. 
I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the ninth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Margus Morrison, age 52, a son, brother, husband, and father. He loved music and sneakers. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the 10th count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 72-year-old Catherine Massey, Cat, a daughter, sister, aunt, and friend, an activist known for her sincerity, thoughtfulness, and honesty. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the 11th count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Geraldine Talley, age 62, a daughter, mother, and aunt, the life of the party, and a top-notch baker. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. By operation of law, the sentences on counts 2 through 11 must run concurrently with the sentence imposed on the first count. Under the remaining counts of the indictment to which you pled, the law permits me, based on your age, to consider granting you youthful offender status. The purpose of youthful offender status under the law is to prevent the stigmatization of young offenders based on hasty and thoughtless acts and to provide them a fresh start and a renewed opportunity to be a law-abiding productive member of society. However, given the manner in which you methodically planned, researched, conducted recognizance, and executed your hateful crimes. A finding of youthful offender status is not appropriate. There has was nothing hasty or thoughtless about your conduct. There are no many mitigating factors to be considered. You will be sentenced as an adult on the remaining counts. Under the 22nd count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree, for the attempted murder of 20-year-old Zaire Goodman, a beloved son, a hard-working young man of character, I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 23rd count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree, for the attempted murder of 55-year-old Christopher Braden, a son, father, husband, and friend, a professional serving the needs of the good people of the city of Buffalo, I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. 
I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 24th count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree for the attempted murder of Jennifer Warrington, age 50, daughter, mother, wife, friend, a professional serving the needs of the good people of the city of Buffalo. I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct the sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 25th count of the indictment, criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 15 years followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. I am assessing the mandatory surcharge of $300, the crime victim assistance fee of $25, and a DNA fee of $50. You have 30 days to appeal the sentence of this court. This concludes these proceedings, and the court will stand in recess. Sentencing remarks from Erie County Court Judge Susan Egan. There was a controversial moment just before that when Gendron himself apologized to family members for the first time. His defense attorneys admitted that some might not want to hear it. The racist hate that motivated this crime was spread through online platforms. And the violence that was made possible was in part due to the easy access of assault weapons. Still, our client is responsible for this crime. He will spend the rest of his life locked away, and eventually he will die in state prison. We hope that knowing he will never be free again will offer some small bit of comfort to those that he hurt so much. Some of those most affected by his crime have expressed a need to know whether our client is remorseful. Remorseful for what he did and the devastation that he caused. We are aware, however, that for others, any expression of remorse would be meaningless and the very sight of him or the sound of his voice can be painful. At this time, he has a brief statement to make. His words are not in any way intended to inflict any further pain on those that have already suffered, and we hope that they do not do so. I'm very sorry for the pain I forced the victims and their families to suffer through. I'm very sorry for staring the lies of your love towards. I cannot express how much I regret all the decisions I made leading up to my actions on May 14th. I did a terrible thing that day. I shot and killed people because they were black. But going back now, I can't believe I actually did it. I believed when I read online and acted out of hate. And now I can't take it back, but I wish I could. And I don't want anyone to be inspired by me and what I did. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. 
You know, the, the families were obviously uh, upset that he came into the guilty plea with, an hair, with a haircut, um, you know, looking like a little boy. No matter what impact the defense team wanted that to have on Judge Egan, former assistant U.S. attorney Anthony Bruce tells WBFO that the apology basically carries no weight at all. He killed 10 people. He wounded three more, and certainly he had the intention of killing or wounding many, many more than that. And a simple, I'm sorry to the families or I'm sorry to an individual, doesn't even scratch the surface in terms of making up for that. This was probably the most horrific crime in Buffalo history, a horrific crime in anybody's viewpoint. Um, so really, it's like, we hear you, but go to prison. This is Buffalo What's Next, a special program today recounting the events of Peyton Gendron's sentencing to life in prison without parole after pleading guilty to killing 10 people, injuring three others, related weapons charges too, at the state's first domestic terror hate crime conviction for a racially motivated crime. The day began, and much of the two-hour proceeding really was taken up by family members, also talking about racism, talking about their loved ones, and how those two intersected in a moment of grief and despair when Gendron opened fire. We warn people that some of this may be hard to hear, but it's an important part of the story to know the victims, to see them as people, and not glorify Gendron's acts. I'm Wayne Jones, only child of Celestine Chaney. I watched you kill my mom. I watched you on the internet. I watched you shoot her once, reload, and shoot her again. I just want you to remember that name and what you did. You took from us a loving mother, grandmother, sister, aunt. I want you to remember some of the things that I've said to you. I've seen you a couple times in court, and you look like a young man that could be anybody's son. You don't come across to me as a racist killer, even though that's what you have done. You have to live with this one, bro, just as I have to live with this every day. I don't wish the death penalty on you. I wish they keep you alive. So you have to suffer with the thought of what you did for the rest of your life. <laughs> to me, killing you is the easy way out. One day, I hope you find it in your heart to apologize to those 10 families who you've shattered their lives for some senseless, unnecessary business that you had going on with yourself. You have shattered a lot of lives here, son. I got a child your age. I know it was a mistake. It was a big one, bro. You're going to pay for this. Just find it in your heart to apologize to these people, man. I've been there, man. You've been brainwashed. The internet is the issue. They bring, you're only 18. You can, obviously, you couldn't hate You don't even know black people that much to hate them. You learned this on the internet, and it's a big mistake. I feel sorry for your mother, your mother. I don't have mine. But your mother, she's dying inside for what you've done. She can't even pick her head up behind some nonsense that you've done. And I hope you find that in your heart to apologize to these people. You did wrong for no reason. 
That's all I got to say. My name is Tamika. I'm the niece of Geraldine Valley. Our family's aunts are more or less our second moms. And that's what you took away from me. At 19 years old, I had to bury my first son. But the pain I feel from you taking my aunt from our family will never even compare to burying my own child. This was the, a horrible crime that you committed. And I hope you do pray for forgiveness. Because, you know, not forgiving, I'll be blocking my own blessings. So do I hate you? No. Do I want you to die? No. I want you to stay alive. I want you to think about this every day of your life. Every day of your life, think about my family and the other nine families that you've destroyed forever. My name is Barbara Massey. I'm Catherine Massey's sister. You killed my sister. Cat, I'm going to tell you about my sister, Cat. Cat weighed 110 pounds, 72 years old. Cat would do anything for anybody, anytime. Cat was intelligent. She was a teacher. She was my best friend. She was anything at any given time. Cat was a protector. If Cat saw you, she probably went in her pocket and gave you some money, even though you didn't need it. Cat was an aunt. She was a great aunt. She was a cousin. She was a friend. Cat said she was a committee of one. There's nothing Cat wouldn't do for people. I want personally to choke you and leave my fingerprints on your neck because it was unnecessary. You leave 200 miles to come to Buffalo. You don't even know any black people. 95.7, that's what they said for in your time. You don't know an Indian, a Mexican, nobody. Your little punk ass decided to come and kill my sister. I talked to Cat every single day. You don't make Cat happy kids. Cat didn't have any children, but she said she had 34,000. That was the number of kids in school. Cat had so many children, our mind went boom with her own money. There's nothing Cat wouldn't do for anybody. You know what made Cat happy? Us cutting grass that we don't even own. That made my sister happy. That's what I was doing when you killed Cat. I was doing her lawn. I was there eight hours with my family. Banging the cops. Is my sister okay? You blew off her f***ing back of her head, man. You're going to come to our city and decide you don't like black people. Me, you don't know a damn thing about black people. We're human. We like our kids to go to good schools. We love our kids. We never go in no neighborhoods and take people out. At that point, a family member of a victim charged after Gendron and had to be restrained by courtroom guards. The courtroom was cleared, order resumed, but before that could happen, the man who charged Gendron did punch a hole in the drywall of the courtroom. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn says he can't allow that obviously in every case, but this one is special. He understands that there's a lot of emotion here. So he will not be charged. This has... um this has happened before. Um, you know, that, I, I don't know if, if the Office of Court Administration has a budget line or not for, you know, damaged property. Um, but, um, you know, people have punched holes in walls before. Um, and, you know, we can, we can fix it. 
And so, you know, obviously uh, I am, um, you know, emotions are high. This is a, this is a tragic incident that occurred in our city. Um, I'm not gonna compound that tragedy by charging someone with criminal mischief. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown was in the front row of the courtroom, feet from where that conflict occurred. He, too, has sympathies for the families in light of the emotional day. You know, as, as has been said, it was a tough day. Uh, it was a very emotional day. Uh, as mayor, as a member of the community, sitting there, listening to the statements of the family members, it was very painful. Uh, Several times I, I felt like I was going to have to reach for a tissue. It was so painful. Emotions were running incredibly high. I can understand uh, people wanting to rush the defendant. Not the right thing to do. Uh, didn't want to see it happen, but can understand it uh, because this is such a painful thing. This is such a gut-wrenching thing uh, that happened to members of our community and happened uh, to the members of the family of the people who were in the courtroom today. So I understand the emotion that people were feeling. Again, former assistant U.S. attorney Anthony Bruce. This is the voice of people who were grievously harmed, and, I, and, and how more harm can you be than having a loved one shot down while that loved one is minding his or her own business. But they're the voices of the loved ones. Um, these people under the law have a right to be heard. It's certainly a catharsis for them. Uh, and I think it's wonderful that they're in there speaking uh, against this, this person and speaking for themselves and for the rest of their family. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a process the healing process that we have to go through. And it's, it, like I said, it's required by law, and it's done in every one of these cases where there's a conviction. Tony, thanks so much for your commentary. Former Assistant U.S. Attorney Anthony Bruce with us for a little bit of analysis this morning. We are now able to go back to the courtroom where, once again, victims' family members are speaking out. Here's Zanetta Everhart, whose son, Zaire Goodman, was wounded in the attack have the ability to decipher right from wrong and make choices accordingly. No matter what choice we make, we have to deal with the consequences of that choice, good, bad, or indifferent. On that day, this terrorist made the choice that the value of a black human meant nothing to him. The world says you have to forgive in order to move on, but I stand before you today to say that will never happen. Forgiveness to me puts this tragedy in the laps of the victims, and I nor my son will accept the responsibility of his terroristic act. My name is Stephanie. On May 14th at 11 a.m., I was on a Zoom with a group I've been in for years called Erase. Our slogan is Erasism. We seek through person-to-person -person communication to eradicate the disease of racism and white supremacy. A few hours after my Zoom ended, I called my sister to visit with her. She answered the phone. She said, Steph, I'm in an ambulance. I've been shot in the head. If I die, please be there for my children. A lot of people have been killed. Please ask everyone that we know to pray. 
I begged her to stay on the phone, not knowing if I would ever speak to her again. She hung up and I headed to the airport. It wasn't until I was sitting in the airport in the plane that my nephew called and said, Aunt Steph, it was a white supremacist. He filmed the entire thing on live stream. I groaned and roared and screamed so loudly that the plane was delayed in taking off. I roared also in pain for my brothers and sisters who do not look like me or like the defendant. I roared in pain because he bought into the lies of this country that somehow, because of the amount of the chemical in our skin, we are superior. We were not even the first ones here in the U.S., okay? Our black and brown brothers and sisters endured centuries, not years, centuries of oppression as they built our buildings and produced our crops by which the foundation of this country was built on. They continue to endure oppression. Even the Harvard lawyer is mistaken continually in the courtroom for the defendant and not the, not the lawyer. They continue to endure microaggressions. They continue to have their families gunned down simply because of the color of their skin. You heard some of the family members today reading from the Bible, offering forgiveness, offering peace, showing the beauty of their hearts. Yes, you also saw the fury. And for those who serve, who have to ask people to sit, I ask you to do it with an empathy in your heart and an understanding that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we have been looking at our brown brothers and sisters as if they were less than. They are not less than. They deserve our respect. They deserve our radical empathy. They deserve for us to get educated on what we can do to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Good morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Uh, Christopher Braden. It has been less than a year since you attacked me and 12 others that day, along with countless numbers of TOPS employees, customers, and residents of that area. I still remember May 14th, 2022, and everything about it still haunts me. Your actions have completely changed and impacted my life in every aspect. I cannot even begin to feel describe the feeling of terror I had on that Saturday afternoon when I was attacked by you. I was shot in the leg, um, I was shot on the inside of my leg just above my knee and the bullet exited outside below my knee, taking almost everything with it. Um, the injuries I sustained were severe, but I remained conscious and coherent the entire time. I unfortunately saw a few victims being killed. As I was being taken out of the store after the shooting was over, I saw all the victims where they lay. Visions haunt me in my sleep every night and most days. I cannot get those memories out of my head. Nighttime is the worst for my PTSD. I have night terrors that jerk me awake in the middle of the night, and I'm unable to calm back down to go back to sleep. I spent 10 days in the hospital, endured four surgeries with two more surgeries to go. My left leg below my knee was nearly lost had it not been for the excellent work of my surgeons and the entire team at ECMC. I could speak for hours about my injuries and treatment, as well as the permanency of these injuries. However, I would rather talk about being a survivor. I'm still the same person that I was before you did this to me. My scars and pain remind me of how strong I've become. I am more alive and stronger than ever. You haven't taken away my will to live. You haven't broken my spirit. The scars are a constant reminder of what happened to me, but don't define my future. Thank you. Good morning, Your Honor. My name is Brian Talley. I'm here on behalf of Geraldine Talley 
and my nephew Mark Talley. Peyton Gendron. Peyton Gendron. The reason I mention your name is because so many people have spoke about it not to say anything, not to mention your name. But you need to be known. You need to be known worldwide. I've done a little history on YouTube, Peyton. Um, I watched a video, you know, and I just can't believe what can you say, what can you possibly say after putting on a video of killing people? It was like a video game to you. What can you possibly say to anybody? Your words don't mean anything. After this, I'm leaving because I don't want to hear what you have to say. It doesn't make a difference. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. The Willie Lynch doctrine, the making of a slave, it said you take the biggest, the toughest, and the blackest nigger. You take them. You tie a horse to one arm. You tie a horse to the other arm. You tie a horse to one leg and tie a horse to the other leg. And then you rip them apart in front of every slave to let you know what it is. You did that to us. You came into the biggest part, the strongest part of the black community, and you ripped us apart. How can you possibly get any kind of... How can you possibly stand up here and say that you're sorry? That you're sorry. You're playing this whole thing. You planned it. You put it on a video like it was a video game and watched it. The hatred that you must have in your heart for black people, I will never understand. I don't want to understand it. But I must say this. I pray to God they do not kill you. Because I've been incarcerated. You know, I have. And I know where you're going. Where you're going, solitary confinement for the rest of your life, by yourself, wearing this color green. That's why I wore green today. Because I want you to remember this color. You're going to be wearing this color for the rest of your life. I'm praying that you remember wear this for the rest of your life. I will say this. My nephew didn't come today because of the hate and the pain that he feel. And I don't blame him. I do not blame him because he's still hurting. This whole community is hurting, man. You know, you broke it. You, you divided this community so much that it's, it's painful. We'll never heal for this. And if you look at the community right now on Jefferson Avenue, after all the hype and everything, nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, it's got even worse. It's got even worse. Stores is closed down. The community is totally devastated. And you did this. I, I pray to God for your soul. I forgive you. But I forgive you not for your sake, but for mine and for this black community. My name is Michelle. My last name is Spite. I lost an aunt on May 14th and a cousin. What are the chances that two of your family members would be in the same place from two different sides of your family? The calculated manifesto that you derived, the way that you started on a street that I grew up on. You journeyed down my grandmother's street and then wound up at Tops and killed two of my family members. My cousin Pamela Young, that was, Pearl Young was her mother. She was her only daughter. So I stand here to represent James Young, her son, Damon Young, her son, P 
Pamela Young, her daughter, and all of her grandchildren, Oriana, Greg, Nate, and a host of others. The fact that you can sit in this courtroom with no remorse, flat affect, emotionless, shows the essence of your privilege, sir. The fact that you are surrounded by white officers after you casually surrendered while my brother's blood drained from his body is a testament to society that we have a long way to go. And some people's blood is just not as important as others. That's the reason you lived. And you have the privilege of being protected. Good morning. Good morning. So I want to start off with saying my dad was Andre McNeil. He um, went to that store to get a cake for my little brother because May 14th is his birthday, my little brother's birthday. And he turned three years old, and he didn't get to celebrate his birthday with his dad because he never came back. So um, I was told to write an impact statement. First, I was being selfish, and I said I wasn't going to do it. But then I remember I wasn't doing it for this selfish coward or the courts or the press, but I was doing it for my dad, my best friend, who was snatched from this world because of something he couldn't change, the color of his skin. And I'm still pissed off because he wasn't given a chance to fight. He was blindsided. You hit him and he didn't even know he got hit. He was blindsided by a hateful death at the hands of a selfish boy who was obviously not educated on the history of African Americans. Our dad, the man who created us, was killed by a little boy who was obviously raised by hateful people. And I hate your parents too, so let them know that. And there is nothing in this world, no amount of money, anything anyone could say that'll change how I feel. This is the worst way to lose someone. So close to you and I'll never forgive you. And I don't have it in me because no matter what, it wasn't my time, it wasn't my dad's time to go. And who are you to think you control that? I don't know what else to say to you. I'm Zion Elliott. I am Andre McNeil's brother. I don't understand why. You know, you came all the way to Buffalo when there was a million different black communities. But you shouldn't have came anywhere. You should have sat in your car first and thought about your actions. As an 18-year-old, I don't know how you could even continue on. I don't know who helped you, who talked you into it. You know, because I know a lot of 18-year-olds, white boys, so you know this. I know a lot of 18-year-old Caucasian, little friends of mine, I call them little homies. None of my races, so I'm confused. Especially the three that I know from Conklin, where you're from. So I'm confused on how you got past everybody with your ideology and all this nonsense. You have all these protectors of you, but so that you know that they're here now. Where you're going, I've been. And your own kind's gonna get you. Just so you know, I've been in that prison. Your own kind is going to get you. Everything that you think that you know about prison and whatever they told you is a lie. I've been there. You can ask anybody in here to look up my name and they'll find three different New York State ID numbers, which you're about to be. But you took 53 years from me. You took the last of my life from me. 
all that I grew up with, all that I know is gone. And you came in here, in New Buffalo on May 14th and took that from me. I'll never understand why. I don't think anybody will. Do I hate you? No. Do I want to hurt you? Yes. This is a special edition of Buffalo What's Next. You're listening to victim impact statements offered at the sentencing of top shooter Peyton Gendron before he was sent away to life in prison without parole. Before the judge pronounced that sentence, she heard from Assistant Erie County District Attorney Justin Caldwell. Your Honor, you've had an opportunity to hear from some of the victim's family members. They've spoken about the effect that this heinous, racially motivated act had on them, their family members, their friends, and their community. However, there are additional family members you've not heard from today. Some uh, wrote statements and chose not to speak. Others could not bear to write a statement and relive one of the most traumatic events of their lives. I would like to speak on behalf of all of those personally affected who chose not to submit a statement. And then I'd like to speak on behalf of the DA's office. Hayward Patterson's family members did not wish to speak today and did not submit a victim impact letter. Nonetheless, I can assure this court that their reluctance to speak or write a letter is because of how difficult this process is, which everybody has seen today. Everyone who was in TOPS on May 14th of 2022 or knew someone who was killed on that day has experienced trauma that is not easy to speak about. Their absence is not an indication that they don't care about the outcome or that they've simply moved on. In actuality, it's an indication that they're still recovering and learning to cope and cannot yet bring themselves to confront the defendant or even articulate all of their feelings in a letter. I'd like to focus on the people who were at Top Supermarket on the day of the attack for a moment. While there are many people who escaped that horrible event alive and physically unharmed, they will be scarred emotionally for the rest of their lives. I visited the top supermarket where this all occurred in the aftermath of the incident, and it certainly had an immediate effect on me, and I was only present for a limited amount of time. I can't imagine what the survivors of this incident were going through during the incident as they remained hidden and quiet hoping and praying that the defendant didn't find them and end their lives too. This time, Your Honor, I'll speak on behalf of the DA's office. On May 14th of 2022, this defendant displayed a callous disregard for human life. He drove over 200 miles out of his way with one mission, with one goal, to kill as many black people as possible. During that three-hour drive, he could have turned around but he wouldn't be deterred. He was steadfast to accomplish his goal of killing as many black people as possible and starting a race war. He fed into propaganda and lies that convinced him that somehow these innocent people who he had never heard of, who had never heard of him, who had never had a conversation with him, who had never even met him, were a threat to his very existence and identity as a white man. The defendant executed 10 people and wounded three others in slightly over two minutes. The only time he expressed a scintilla of remorse or regret is when he apologized to Christopher Braden, a white man, for shooting him. Any statement of expression 
or remorse at this point, any tears fall flat in the face of such violent actions. And I wholeheartedly believe that the only other regret that the defendant has is that he didn't kill more black people before he was apprehended by Buffalo police officers. In fact, the defendant was so sure of his beliefs, which were based on lies and propaganda, that he live streamed his attack with the goal of inspiring others to commit similar attacks, with the goal of tearing this community down, with the goal of spreading hatred and fear. He failed. This community is pulled together. People of all races, sexual orientations, and religions working together to show love and unity for one another. On May 14th of 2022, 10 beautiful and innocent lives were violently taken from their family because the defendant subscribed to hateful ideology. However, their legacy won't be as victims struck down by someone with unfathomable hatred in his heart, but instead, it'll be as a beacon of light that has brought love to this community, that made this community stronger, that united people of all races throughout our community and our country. The defendant's legacy, on the other hand, will be of a cowardly murderer who killed unarmed citizens. The defendant thought that this would create enough tension to start a race war, that we would turn on each other. He thought that everyone has as much hate in their hearts as he does, but he was wrong. And again, he failed. This community showed that they are not as ugly as the defendant's hateful ideology, and instead of choosing violence, they chose love. They showed the world that the love of this community will always be stronger than white supremacist hatred. And hopefully, the defendant will have to live with his failure for the rest of his life in a jail cell while this community continues to flourish. Your Honor, this sentencing is an opportunity to say no to racism, to say no to hate, our chance to hold this defendant accountable and show others that think like the defendant that these acts have no place in our society and that there will be dire consequences for anyone who tries to follow in his footsteps. So today was an incredibly emotional time for those of you who were there and witnessed it. Attorney Terry Connors represents several victim families and spoke after the proceedings. It was uh, something that I have not seen that kind of emotion, that kind of commitment in my 40 years of being a lawyer. There were a lot of good things that came out of this today. Um, but I think that for me, as I sat there, the watchword of the entire proceeding was uttered by Garnell's granddaughter. And when she turned to Peyton Jenner and said, you think you broke us, but you awoke us. And you know what? That's going to propel us forward as we try to get civil justice as we try to do things that the prosecution can't do. And it is something for me that is uh, incredibly inspiring. And I take that all that more serious. Two other things, just brief comments. I don't know if you caught it or not, but in between the feeble words of his apology, he expressed to everyone, the entire nation, how he was influenced by social media, influenced by the internet, influenced by the online digital platforms who we have in our sites now as we prepare our civil litigation. So that's uh, that to me was a very important matter. And finally, for me, the other observation, <clears throat> Judge Egan did not have to say what she said. 
She could have imposed that sentence without saying any word, without giving any social commentary. But she went deep into the problem that's at the root of our society. She talked openly about white supremacism, about racism, about a history that we all know and you all lived. And I thought it was incredible. One other note, at the federal level, Gendron is facing additional charges, including 10 counts of hate crimes, 23 of them in all. And some of those, if he is found guilty, could ultimately lead to a decision from U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to end up prosecuting him for the death penalty. Gendron's defense team has said that if the death penalty were off the table, he'd be willing to plead guilty there, too. Either way, it really does not matter, though. Once again, a lot of our legal analysis from former assistant U.S. attorney Anthony Bruce. In terms of the federal case, it's difficult to say what this will do. He's going to prison for the rest of his life. The only thing the U.S. government can do to him is execute him. The question is, will they do that? His, his admission to murder in state court makes his conviction of murder in federal court almost a fait accompli. The only thing left over is to decide what his fate is going to be. And they would have to convince, well, true Western New Yorkers that he should be put to death uh, and go from there. So um, what's going on behind closed doors at the U.S. Attorney's Office and at the, in the death penalty section in Washington is difficult to say, but uh, certainly they've now got to consider this. Is this closure in the case or is this something they want to continue to carry on? All right. So the death penalty portion of it, we don't know. Um, the sentence today on the state charges is a fate accompli, life without parole. His conviction in federal court, given his admission in state court that he did it, is also a fate accompli. He can't be found not guilty in federal court. I mean, it would be a, a, a crazy legal conclusion for him to be found not guilty. So the only thing left over for the feds is what to do with this case sentencing-wise if they intend to go forward with this. And and let's just say for a moment that they do go forward with it as a federal death penalty prosecution. Will all they have to do then is just point to the guilty plea on the state charges and say, look, he, he's already said he's guilty, put him to death? Well, no, they've got to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and, and they've got to put the case in. But the key to the case, the kind of the crown jewel of the case will be the state guilty plea. It's admissible in federal court. It's an admission that he did it. And we close today with remarks from Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. A lot of people have articulated ideas that need to be in place to go forward. Where do we go as a community? Where do we go as a city? Where do we go in terms of the legal system and the criminal justice system? and how it affects not only particular cases, but society at large. And so these are questions that we need to answer. What happened today, though, what happened throughout the prosecution of this case is still important. I would say that justice was done with a small J today, but we still have a big J of justice to do. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Buffalo What's Next, Life in Prison for Peyton Gendron. It was a busy day, obviously, possible because of the work of the entire award-winning WBFO news team brought to you by member support. I'm Dave Debo, and this is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown.